today, Kavanaugh. You there? Oh, 17 of you. I can pick up that number quickly. How are you doing today? Good, good deal. Glad that you're here. What a great day it is. It's a good day to be in the Lord's house, and I'm going to be reading in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Can you see that I'm wearing a tie? Second service, I have a tie on. Isn't that awesome? Huh? Uh, it's not what I picked out to wear today. I was summoned to the closet last night, and when I walked into my closet, there were the three blondes in my closet. And uh, the, the, the oldest one said, is this what you picked out for tomorrow? I said, yeah, that's what I'm wearing. She said, we want you to wear this because it's a family photo after church. So you know what I said? Yes, ma'am. I've learned after 33 years. Those are the best words you can say. Yes, ma'am. And so uh, today's a big day for us. It's, it's Harmon Family Weekend. Miss Angie designated this weekend on the calendar to be our family weekend. And so Whitney and Tyler are down. Uh, we've, we've had a great, uh, great weekend together, spending time together. Uh, at lunch, we're going over to my mom and dad's house. Mom is fixing a gourmet meal for us. We're spending time together. Uh, because this week we take Callie to Atlanta. She'll be flying out next Saturday, uh, spending nine months on a missions trip. She'll be in Albania, the Philippines, and then in South Africa. So this is the last time we get to be together as a family this weekend. So it's what weekend? Harmon Family Weekend. We've had a great time, uh, and it's really, really uh, spoken to my heart about my message today. So what I'm going to do is read the passage that I planned on preaching, and then I'm just going to share my heart with you. Now, the problem with me sharing my heart is last time I did this, which was at 9 o'clock, I went 10 minutes over. I shouldn't tell you that. But you know what? For your benefit, I went back and I cut some of my sermon out. <laughs> just because I like you so much. Acts chapter 4, though, is where we are in our series through the book of Acts. And it's awesome to me that these are the two verses that I was planning on preaching from anyway. It says in verse 32, Now the multitude of those, and that, so that's the new church, there were a multitude of them now, started out with 120, now there are thousands of believers in this new church. Those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Now, as I read that passage and went ahead and outlined it, I'll give you my outline here in just a second. It dawned on me that this is a description of what a family is supposed to be like. This is a snapshot of the family. Now, it's the family of faith, but you know what? That's what we are. God is our Father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and so literally we are one big family, all right? Represented by smaller families that come together to make the big family of God. But this is a description of what we're supposed to look like. And two words that really stick out to me found in verse 33 are the word is the word great. Great is used twice. It's also implied in verse 32. In verse 32, it is defining and describing the relationship that these believers had with one another. There was great unity, great fellowship. This was a great family. 
They had one heart and one soul. They were united by the blood of Jesus Christ, and they were loving on each other. Isn't that what a family's supposed to do? What a great family, great unity. But then because of that unity, number 2 in verse 33, we see they had great power. Because the unity of God was in their heart, God blessed them with his power to go out and be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because they had great unity and great power, number three, great grace was upon them. The grace of God just overflowed on them, and they lived in the power of God. You know what? That's how to be great right there. Great unity, great power from God, great power to go out and speak his name, and great grace that comes into your life and your family. That is a snapshot of a great family. I wonder, is that a snapshot of our family? Let me tell you, every one of us in here needs a great family. You need a great church family, but you also need a great family at home. Because you know why? Home's where it happens, man. It all starts in the home. And eventually it's going to end in a home. You need a great family. I'm trying to convince you of something you have doubts of right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need a great family. Say that right now. And I hope you said it to your spouse right there. I need a great family. Why do you need a great family? Well, this is where I want to share my heart with you based on the weekend I've had with my family. Number one, we need a great family because a family is a place where we learn to love. Family is where you learn love. From reading about the believers here in Acts chapter 4, it is obvious that they had a deep love and a strong commitment to one another. It was a selfless relationship. They weren't in this thing thinking, what's in it for me? What can you do for me? What can I get out of you? No, that's not what they were thinking at all. You read verse 32. They were in it for this reason. What can I do for you? What need do you have that I can meet? It was a selfless relationship. They were loving on each other with God's love. You know what? That's what we need in our homes. Our families need this kind of love where we love on each other with God's love. And you know where that starts? That starts with the dad. Where am I getting that? Well, Ephesians 5.25. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So our example is Jesus Christ. How much did Jesus love his church? How much does Jesus love us? Enough to die for us. And with that same kind of love, husbands are commanded to love their wives. So if you've got a wife here today, turn around and say, I love you, babe. I love you, babe. Y'all didn't say that loud enough. Say it again. I love you, babe. All right. It's been said that the greatest thing a father can do for his children is to love his wife. Come on, guys. I'm throwing up, I'm throwing up balls you can hit out of the park right here. Huh? And I think that's true. The greatest thing I can do for, for Whitney, Callie, and Zane is love their mama. And let them know that that I love her with all of my heart. And the same is true for the wife. She's supposed to love her husband. Now, we've got all kinds of problems in our world today. 
Wouldn't you agree? I mean, but the greatest reason we have so many problems in our society is because the first institution that God established to be the foundation of the moral fiber and makeup of our country is collapsing. And that's the home. Our homes are falling apart. And the reason they're falling apart is because we don't love like we're supposed to love. Now again, the example is who? It's Jesus. Loving us. Giving himself for us. Husbands, we are to love our wives with that same kind of love. First comes our love for Jesus. Jesus, I love him more than anything with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But right underneath Jesus is this lady right here. She's number two on my love list. And then closely following her are these three kids. And I'm going to throw Tyler in there too, all right? Because he's one of us now as well. He beat me a putt-putt, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But anyway, that's the way it's supposed to be. Anytime, listen to me, church, anytime you get that out of whack, that out of order, there is chaos. Now, ladies, I know your man's your man, and you love your man, right? Right? Come on, Ange, right? But he's got to be number two on your love list. I love my wife. She's fantastic. But you know what? I can't love Angie more than I love Jesus. If I love Angie more than Jesus, everything's out of balance in my home. And parents, let me tell you, God blessed you with some kids, and I know you love your kids, and you're pouring your life into your kids, but they can't come above your spouse on the love list. Nor can they come above God. And Lord help us. Don't you love going to a restaurant and the two-year-old is ruling the roost? Huh? Anyway, that's for another sermon and subject. Huh? What, what is my response to this? My response is, you know what? Every day I need to tell my family I love them. Now, I'm going to do this publicly. Angie, I love you. Whitney, I love you. Tyler, I love you. Callie, I love you. Jane, I love you. Okay? I need to do that every day just one-on-one -on -one with them you need to do the same thing with the people in your house dad i love you mom i love you you feed me today huh? but but not only tell them you need to show them we need to show love why because that's what a great family does a great family loves on one another amen number two you need a great family because a family is a safe place. Let me put it this way. A family is to be a shelter in times of storm. We all have storms in life because life is tough. Huh? Let me read a little story. I didn't put this on the screen. You're going to have to listen to me, okay? It's found in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them... I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it did not fall, because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, I understand the context of what Jesus is saying. This is the end of his great sermon on the mount. And what Jesus is saying is this. You have to build your life on the word of God because it is the rock. And when you build your life on the word of God, when the storms of life come, your life's going to stand. If you don't build your life on the word of God, which is the rock, you build your life on the world system, when the storms come, you're going to crumble. You get that? I mean, that's important. But for my illustration, understand Jesus is talking about storms. He's talking about winds that are howling, rain that is descending, hell that's beating your roof and your little red truck to pieces. And here's the deal. It rains on us. Life rains on us. Life pours on us. Life hells down on us. We go through tough times. Things don't always go as we planned them to go. So, whether you're a little bitty baby or an old man like me, we all need a place of protection. We need a place of stability. We need a place of security. Proverbs 14, 26 says, Reverence for the Lord gives a man strong confidence. His children have a place of refuge and security. Now, that's an awesome verse. It tells me as a dad this, if I reverence God in my life and in my home, that is, if I put God number one in my life and in my home, then my children are going to have a home of refuge and security. I guess my question to you is, do your kids have that? Does your family have a place of refuge, a place of security? The Bible says that God created the family to be a shelter in times of storm. And there are many different kinds of storms. Financial storms, physical storms, emotional storms, intellectual storms, moral storms. Storms are universal. People on the floor are going to have storms. You people in the balcony are going to have storms. We're all facing storms in life, right? Now, I've categorized three different kinds of storms I want to talk about just for a second. Number one, change is a storm. You know that. Change is a storm. We go through changes in life. We all have illnesses and deaths and graduations. We change jobs. We move. When I was a kid, we moved, uh, we moved a couple of different times. We moved from Midland to Abilene, from Abilene to Lubbock. And I mean, it's tough on a kid when you move and go to a different school. Huh? Well, I could tell you stories about it. Change is tough sometimes. But change is also tough as you get older. You, you go to your favorite restaurant, and they've taken the favorite thing that you have to eat off the menu. Oh, Lord, have mercy. We have to change. But here's the deal. There needs to be a place that no matter where our house is, there is a family in it that I know and I can count on. That's going to love on me and care for me. Because change is a storm we all face. And when change comes, we need a place of shelter. And that's what our home is supposed to be. Number two, failure is a storm. Can I tell you something? I'm just talking to you, nobody else. 
you're not always going to be a winner. Okay? You're not always going to win. I, I know that's hard for some of you to accept. Sometimes, sometimes we have to lose. That's tough. This Harmon Family Weekend, right? We've had a lot of fun. Capital F, capital U, capital N. Fun, fun, fun. But even in the midst of the fun, there is always competition in my home. I don't know. It's just the way my wife is. Yes. <laughs> For example, Friday night, we went to play miniature golf at Gator Golf. Family fun. The whole family was having fun. We had fun on the first hole. But then on hole number two, the trash talk started. Let me tell you something. There, there are certain people in my family that do not like to lose at anything. Just a little clue. They all have blonde hair. <laughs> and the two younger learned it from their mother. <laughs> Let me tell you, sometimes you don't win. Sometimes... The cotton-picking son-in-law wins. <laughs> I'm not bitter over that. But you know what? It happens in life, doesn't it? You get turned down for the promotion at work. You make an F on the big test. You don't make the team. You go bankrupt. I'm here to tell you, church, things don't always go like you planned them to go. But here's the deal. You can handle a whole lot of failure in your life if you can come home to hugs and kisses and embraces where there is a shelter for the storm you're going through. I love Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. It says, two are better than one. If one of them falls down, the other can help them up. But if someone is alone and falls, it's just too bad because nobody's there to pick them up. Wow, family members or fans, even when you're having a losing season, they're a shelter in times of storm. The third storm we go through is rejection. It, this is probably the most difficult storm of all to handle because we all hate to be rejected, don't we? We hate to be put down, ridiculed, criticized. Some of the most difficult rejection that you faced growing up was on the playground. Why? Because kids are cruel. Come on, they're back there and we worship. Kids are cruel. <laughs> if you don't believe in the sin nature, you just become a teacher. Huh? Kids can be ruthless, man. Many of you can still vividly remember when you were embarrassed or put down as a kid. Somebody said something about you that hurt. I can still remember it. Marilena Whitelegs. I mean... And I'm not going to tell you the story behind it, but it, to this day, it still hurts when I hear that phrase. Thank God none of you call me that. And if you do, now here's the deal. If you don't have anybody to go home to that's going to reinforce the positive that is in your life, there can be long-lasting, haunting emotional wounds. We need a storm protector. 
You get that? We need a storm protector when people put us down. You know, I got to thinking about this. When we were kids, all of the games that we played had a home base. And if you made it home, you were safe. Because that's what home is meant to be. It's a place of safety. Home is our shelter in the midst of the storm. It's safe to cry at home. Because that's what homes are for. They are shelters in the storm where you can let your hair down if you have any hair and be consoled and comforted and cared for. So what is my response to this? Well, it's real simple. Nothing's complicated about this sermon at all. My response to, to this is, you know what? I need to be thankful for my home, my family, my shelter, and I need to love on my family. I need to love on them. I need to demonstrate it each week that, that no matter what they're going through, they have a safe place to come home to. And I've come up with the 3-H club. You want to join the 3-H club? Here, here's, here's how to be a member of the 3-H club. When you, when you see somebody in your family that's going through a tough time, number one, you hear. Hear. You, you listen for the tough time they're going through. Sometimes they're not going to say what it is they're going through, but you need to have an ear that will hear. My wife is great at that. She can, she can tell when... when she can tell when I'm going through a tough time. Right? She can tell when our kids are going. You need to hear, number one, the second H is hug. You need to give them a hug. And then three, the third H is help. You need to help them out. God meant for homes to be shelters in storms. Number three, you need a great family because a family is a learning center for life. Really, we usually think of parents teaching kids, but you know what? If you will just allow them, kids can teach us a bunch. I've, I've learned a whole lot here the past couple of weeks about Pokemon. I never played, I never played Pokemon, but it's back at, with, with force. And, you know, I was ignorant on the subject. And all these cars kept pulling through our church lot during the day. And at night, I see strange people up here. And they're, you know, they're on their devices and phones. I go, what, what in the world are these people up here? My kids say, Dad, they're, they're playing Pokemon. And our church is a what? A pokey We got a pokey stop here. <laughs> Woo, man. <laughs> Cut the video up there. I'm, I'm pretty ticked off because Harvest Time has a pokey gym. <laughs> Isn't that right? Did I say it right? Let's see. Come on. Help me. Help Daddy. Yeah, it's a gym. It's a gym. It's a Pokemon gym. That's a bigger thing than a stop. Why are we a pokey gym? I wonder. Anyway. I'm learning things from my kids all the time. Valuable stuff, needful stuff. But you know what? The Bible says that families are to be a learning center for life. It really, think about this. You learn all the basic skills that you're going to use the rest of your life right there at home. How to eat, how to walk, how to talk, how to relate. I love Psalm 144, verse 12. It says, May our sons in their youth be like plants that grow up strong. So the Bible is comparing the family to a garden. It's a place to grow people. It is a garden to grow people in. Listen to this, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, dads, listen to me. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Again, dads, you got, you got a double job here. Number one, you got to love your wife. 
you get to love your wife. And then number two, our responsibility is to train our children in the things of God, to teach them the things of God. That's what a family is to have, instruction from the Lord. Someone has said that the bottom line in training your child is knowing which end to pat and when to pat it. Really, when you're training your children, you want to take them through three stages. Number one is parent control. Parents need to be in charge. Please, you got to be in charge, parents. <laughs> parent control. But that leads to child control. Because when they become a teenager, they're going to have to take on the responsibility of making choices for themselves. So you take them from parent control to self-control. Ultimately, you lead them to God control. The sooner the better. Where they understand, you know what? God needs to be in control of my life. And that's what a family is for. It is a learning center for life. I love Luke 2.52. It tells us that Jesus grew in four different ways. Jesus grew in wisdom, that is, intellectual growth. Jesus grew in stature, physical growth. Jesus grew in favor with God, spiritual growth, and in favor with man, that is social growth. And that needs to be the goal for every family in this church, that they grow in these four ways, intellectually, spiritually, socially, and physically. We learn a lot of things at home, don't we? A lot of things in the family. Really, There are three things you're not going to leave home without. You, you want to know those? Three things you won't leave home without. Number one, you won't leave home without relationships. Like it or not, you learn to relate to other people in your home, whether it be good, bad, right, wrong, effective, ineffective. Your kids learn how to relate to others by watching you and relating to you. You're helping your kids determine how they're going to relate to others for the rest of their life. That's important. You're not going to leave home without your character. Much of what you are, you basically picked up from your parents. You know that? Like father, like, like mother, like daughter. Character is caught, not taught. You can't tell your kids, always be honest, always tell the truth. And then when the phone rings, you tell them, tell them daddy's not here. They watch your actions, not what you say. Number three, you're not going to leave home without values. Think of all the different stuff we learn about at home. We learn about work, about time, about money, about play, about God, about people. We, we learn what is really important to us. We learn our core values at home. Values come through loud and clear, whether we're teaching them intentionally or unintentionally Isaiah 38 verse 19 out of the living Bible says one generation makes known your faithfulness to the next that's a powerful verse your family is a relay of values it's like a relay race you're passing the baton of values onto your children and they're going to pass that baton onto their kids and the next generation your family is simply one link in a long chain 
throughout time, linking families that are before you to the families that are going to come after you. That's important. That's really serious when you stop and think about it. It's saying that I'm not only influencing my kids right now, but I am influencing future generations. So when you raise your kids, it's not just about, are my kids going to make it? It's about, how am I going to influence the generations that don't even know me? Passing values on. What are you going to pass on to your kids? Really, what are you passing on to your kids? Have you ever heard, I'm not going to impose my spiritual values on my kids. I'm not going to force my religion on my kids. I'm going to let them decide that for themselves. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I have. And you know what I think about it? I think it's a bunch of baloney. (laughs) The foolishness of that is that it implies God is an option. God is not an option. If you're not teaching your family about God, you're making a major mistake that will have eternal implications to it. It's not a matter of just letting them decide. The Bible says that if you're a parent, this is part of your job description. You are to instruct your kids. You are to instill Christian values into their heads and into their hearts. It's your job. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. These commandments, impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down at night, when you get up in the morning. That's the way you're supposed to teach your kids through a normal day. When you get up and they're having breakfast, you teach them. When you're walking them to school, you teach them. When when you're uh, lying down at night before bed, you teach them. Why aren't we doing this? Well, maybe the reason is because we we don't get up when our kids get up. We don't eat when our kids eat. We don't... We don't walk down the road with our kids anymore. We, we don't, we're not with our kids. Everybody's on a different schedule. Everybody eats at a different time. Everybody goes their own way. And when we are at home, you know what we're doing? We're watching TV. And we don't even watch TV as a family anymore. Everybody's got their own TV in their own bedroom. Now, I'm, I'm about to get on a little hobby horse, but understand I'm not just talking bad about TV, I'm going to make a point right here, okay? And listen very carefully to this. The average child, and this is research that's gone on by numerous uh, people that do this kind of research, and they've proven time and time again that the average child watches about 1,000 hours of TV every year. If you're an average American, by the time you've reached 18 years of age, you will have amassed 18,000 hours in front of a TV. And if you live to be the age of 65, the average American will have watched 7.4 years of TV. You have spent 7.4 years watching TV. Let that sink in. That's a long time in front of the tube. Okay? I want you to compare that to this. If you got a little baby and you bring that little baby to, to Sunday school and church, And you do that every week. You're bringing them for two hours a week. And let's say that little baby grows up to be a 65-year-old person. And they have continued that practice, going to church two hours a week, all of their life, from zero to 65. They will have amassed 
about nine months of church time. Nine months of listening to God's word being taught or being preached. 7.4 years, nine months. You tell me, where are our kids getting their values from? Now, you can get real defensive with me right here, but let me just step over here and they'll just be real nice and friendly when I say this. Let me tell you a little secret. Almost everything we watch on TV has a liberal bent to it. 90% of the news that you watch is from the liberal left-wing side. Almost all of the TV shows that you watch have the liberal left-wing Hollywood influence coming through it. So when you sit there and watch the TV, even, even the news, you're getting a liberal slant on our world. You're getting the world's perspective. Because you can't even watch a baseball game without the commercials coming across talking about things I can't even say in front of you. Where in the world are our kids getting their values? From the world or from God's word? Tell you, parents, we need to take this seriously. Adults, you need to take it. You need to turn off the tube and open the word. Oh, thank you, Matt, for that one amen. Appreciate that, man. What's my response to this? Well, two things. What, what am I intentionally teaching my kids? And number two, what am I unintentionally teaching my kids? What am I teaching them about money, about sex, about character, about honesty, all the issues of life? What am I teaching them about hard work? What am I teaching them about respect? Hmm? What am I unintentionally teaching them? Is it really what I want to teach them? Does it match with what I say I believe? What do I want them to know? What do I want my kids to leave home with? What heritage do I want to pass on to them? See, we need great families because we learn the important stuff in life from home. Then number four, and I'm about to shut up, you say, <laughs> oh, you didn't say amen, right? You need a great family, number four, because God meant for the family to be a launch pad for ministry. It's where we learn how to serve. This is where we serve God from. You, you may never have thought of your family as being a ministry team, but let me tell you, nothing will unify your family and bring more joy into your home than serving God together. You and your husband or wife, or if you have kids in the home, from a ministry perspective, find something that you can do as a family and do it for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 15 out of the Living Bible says, Stephanus and his family were the first to become Christians in Greece, and they are spending their lives helping and serving Christians everywhere. Well, what a great goal for your family to be a ministry team, to see your family as a launch pad for the kingdom of God. How do you do it? Well, you just teach your kids, hey man, we're going to love and we're going to serve, and anything that the Lord asks us to do, we're going to do it. We're going to learn how to minister to other people. 
really the ultimate basis for joy and harmony in the family is found in Acts 16.34. It says the whole family was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God. And guys, let me, this is the bottom line. When your whole family knows the Lord and when your whole family loves the Lord and when your whole family serves the Lord, there is a unifying effect in your family. My number one task as a father is to do the best I can to make sure my kids grow up loving Jesus Christ. My goal is to give them every opportunity to accept Jesus and to live for Jesus because the ultimate goal there is that I want my family to be in heaven with me. Don't you? That's why it's so important that, that, that if you have people in your family that don't know the Lord right now, that you pray for them. Constantly pray for them. Nothing is more important to me as a father than to know my kids are going to be spending eternity in heaven together. And so I make that a priority. But I'll, here's what I'll, I've also done. I've tried with my wife's help to create an environment in our home where my kids understand that their purpose in life is to find, follow, and fulfill God's plan for them. Isn't it amazing that kids can be so different? Huh? Yeah, you know, come out of the same womb and they're so different, but that's the way God made us. He made us all different. Thank God for that. Huh? But inside of our own individuality, God has given us certain gifts and abilities and I believe that all of us have a calling in life. God made us to do something. Something he wants us to do, not only just for a living, but as a calling. And so I need to create an environment in my home where my kids understand, you know what? Whatever God wants to do in my life, that's okay. Because God's will is the best. It's the greatest. So I'm pursuing God's will. That atmosphere needs to be in this church as well, guys. We, we need to create this climate where the little kids in our children's center and, and we worship and kids' church understand that, you know what? God made them for a purpose. God's got a great plan for their life, and they need to discover that and fulfill that and to live their life for God. But here's something else that I'm asking you to create and pursue in your home and in this church. That for certain kids and certain people, God has a special call on their life. God's calling certain people to be preachers. Not everybody's called to be a preacher, but he's calling certain people to be preachers. Certain people to be missionaries and, and song directors. And certain people to be youth pastors and children's pastors. And let me tell you something. If, if your kid comes home one day and says, you know what? I, I really believe God's calling me to be a missionary or, or to be a preacher, or to be a youth pastor. God help you. If you tell them no, or if you say to them, nah, Johnny, you don't need to think about that. You need to do something else. There's, there's no money in preaching. You think, well, parents wouldn't do that. Oh, yeah, they do. They do it all the time. You, let me tell you, as a parent, when you do that, you're not just messing with your kid. You're messing with God. 
So be careful. Promote it. Love on them. Let them know that doing God's will is the best. And then when they come home and say, I, I believe I want to be a missionary and I want to take a missions trip for nine months and go to Albania, the Philippines, and South Africa, you take a big gulp <laughs> and say, praise the Lord. And then you have a big family that comes around you and prays for you too, if that happens. What should be your response in making your home a ministry launch pad? Well, I would say the starting point is you dedicate your home to God. You hear that? You dedicate your house to God. You've dedicated your life to God if you're a believer. I would challenge you to dedicate your home to God. Maybe God wants to use your home to, to turn into a, a neighborhood Bible study place or a place where other kids in the neighborhood can come and, and hear about Jesus or be loved on because they're not getting love at home. Maybe you'll invite people over and, and share the good news with them. You need to dedicate your house to God. Say, Lord, you've given me this house. Now use this house and the family that lives in it. That's a great idea, I think. And even though I've gone over my time limit this morning, I, I've barely scratched the surface today on what God's plan for the family is. God's got something great for your family. God wants to make your family great. But here's what I want you to know. There are no perfect families because there are no perfect people. You, you've all heard this thing. It's kind of like a church. If you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because then it won't be perfect anymore. Huh? My guess is that every family in this church needs to be strengthened today. No matter how great your family is, God's got something greater for you. So here in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and pray for your family. And, and I'm, I'm asking the dads to take the lead on this. Come to the altar and pray for your family. But what about the singles who are here? What, what about the never married, the widowed, the formerly married? A couple of things. Number one, do not discount or ignore the relatives that you have. Because God has given you a family. Whether it be brothers or sisters, mother, father, aunts, or uncles, God puts you into a family for a reason. Don't ignore your family. Maybe there's people in your family you're disconnected with for whatever reason. You need to try to re reconnect with them, especially if they don't know Jesus. And then number two, realize that as a Christian, you're a part of a bigger family, which according to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, is the family of faith. The church here is called the family of believers. This is just the big family, man. And so everything that happens in your little family ought to be happening in this big family. This is the place I come to get loved on. <laughs> and I need to feel love from you. I need to hear from you. Pastor, I love you. You need to hear from me. Hey, I love you. You're awesome. You're great. God's got a great plan for your life. You're, you're, you're loved. And you are. Just like your family is a shelter for tough times. That's what this church is. I mean, the world beats us up, man. You need to be here every Sunday so you can get the wounds healed. You need to come back on Wednesday night because you spent half a week out in the world and it's been beating you down. Come on Wednesday nights and, and we'll reinforce your faith. You, you need to come to church and bring your kids because... It is in a place like this, just like in your family, that you learn what is really important in life. God's values, 
The world is not going to be crammed down your throat in this place. God's word is going to be lifted up. And then this is our launch pad for ministry, is it not? This church is so awesome. We're doing so many great things. This next week is Vacation Bible School. Bring your family to VBS. You say, well, I don't have any kids at home. You come and help. <laughs> There'll be plenty of kids here. Let's use this place as our launch pad for ministry as we go out and spread the good news of the gospel. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to end our service today with just a, a big altar of prayer. And, and I'm, I know I'm selfish right now, okay? But this is the... This is the Harmon family weekend, all right? All right, this is, this, Miss Angie dedicated this, this time to the Harmon family. So, so I'm going to start with this. You know my daughter Callie's leaving this week. We're taking her to Atlanta. She'll fly out next Saturday to go to Albania, Philippines, and South Africa for nine months. We're sending her out as our missionary. And so we want to pray for Callie today. So would you join us in doing that? Here in just a second, I'm going to have Callie and my family come right here to the center. And then I'm going to ask all of you as family members to come. And we're going to gather around and connect with each other. We're going to pray for our own families. We're going to pray for this church family. And I'm going to ask that you pray for my daughter as we send her to the regions beyond. Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, dear Lord, for loving on us. And thank you for blessing us with a great family of faith. I pray, dear God, that you would bless this time together today as we pray. I ask, dear God, that you would minister as only you can. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Angie, would you bring the kids down here? And then mom and dad, you follow them. And then I'm going to ask the rest of you just to stand up. Would you stand up and bring your families to the altar? Let's, and I know we're going to...